The following podcast is a Clutch Media production. Welcome to They Get It. My name's Kelsey, and my co-host Emma and I love direct-to-consumer brands. Whether it's an amazing customer experience or a really killer social strategy, this podcast will feature the brands and founders who just get it. Okay, so today's episode is a little bit of a different one. We have Sarah with us, and she's one of the co-founders of Get Flare. And this is a very timely topic because we've been seeing a lot in the news and on social media about women's safety and just some horrific things that have happened to women and continue to happen to women. And um, so we wanted to have this conversation with Sarah about women's safety and about how how we can create you know, more empowerment and not live in fear and also be able to just live our lives. Um, And so this one's a little bit of a different episode. It is very much an entrepreneurial journey, but it's also, um, we just have a conversation about about women's safety and about what that means and how to navigate that space. Um, so Sarah and her business partner, Quinn, they developed this in the Harvard Innovation Lab um, where they were, when they were both getting their MBAs at Harvard. Two very, very smart women. Um, and yeah, just a super inspiring story. Super inspiring. And like, quite frankly, bonded out of trauma. Even if you look at their website, it literally says, frankly, safety products like Flare shouldn't have to exist. Much like the pink tax, we also bear the burden of the safety tax, the physical, mental, emotional, and financial burden of protecting ourselves. And this is something that Sarah definitely touches on in our conversation. But what I find so interesting about her and Quinn's approach to safety is they don't want this to be about fear tactics. They don't want this to be about women shutting themselves indoors, avoiding situations altogether. What you'll learn about this combination of, you know, the bracelet and the actual app or the technology to support it is it's all about freedom. And like Emma, you were just mentioning all about empowering women to go live their lives without this veil of fear that, you know, across every corner is somebody that's out there ready to hurt them. And so, yeah, definitely not mm-hmm. a, you know, a lighthearted conversation, but a conversation that we absolutely had to have nonetheless. And I think another thing that makes this episode unique is I think this is the first business we've talked to where they actually hope they'll go out of business when because they hope that the problem that they're solving won't be a problem anymore. Yeah. So without further ado, let's let Sarah tell us all about it. Welcome back to another episode. Today we have Sarah with us, who is one of the co-founders of Flare. Now, Flare is an interesting company in the sense that they hate that they're here and your mission is to put yourself out of business. So Sarah, I would love to hear from you um, a little bit of background on Flare and what you do. Absolutely, thank you guys for having me. So Flare makes technology products that prevent assaults. Uh, To give you some background, I'm a survivor and I've experienced assaults and honestly more like countless times when I've experienced harassment or being intimidated by men in my life. And so has my co-founder Quinn. So making flair to help keep people safe was very personal for us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can't really talk about flair without talking about how awful it is that something like this has to exist at all. Like you mentioned, 
the problem really is not that like women aren't doing the right things to keep them safe. That's not the problem. The problem is that violence against women is still a reality that mm -hmm. one in three women experience physical or sexual assault in their lifetime. And I know that that's very real for so many people because I hear the stories of our users all the time who share that with us. And as a society, like stepping back a little bit, we have not held perpetrators accountable or prioritized fixing things like education, the law, racism, homophobia, xenophobia, sexism, mental health issues, like all the isms that are actually what's causing this problem. Mm -hmm. But what that means is in the meantime, people, especially women, are experiencing violence, domestic violence, sexual assault, health and safety emergencies every day. And we wanted to provide an immediate solution that could help people now, like as a band-aid. And technology is a really awesome way, a really awesome tool that we can use to keep people safe, while lots of other great organizations and nonprofits are working on fighting the underlying issues. And we also provide support to those organizations and partner with them. And we fight for that kind of change ourselves as well, because we really want to live in a world where something like flair isn't needed. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Our goal is oh, to put gosh. ourselves out of business someday. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm so curious, like, I, I don't think there's any denying how big of a problem this is. And actually maybe like a little story to kind of kick us off. Um, just timeline wise or timely, I'm looking at Instagram and everything I see is, you know, women shouldn't have to put keys between their fingers when they're walking alone at night. They shouldn't have to constantly have to look back over their shoulder to see who's following them, so on and so forth. And I'm at my boyfriend's house and I'm reading that and I'm, I come over to him like kind of ignorantly and like kind of shrug it off. I'm like, isn't this a little crazy? And then he was like, yeah, I guess. Like, I'm not really sure. And I was like, well, it's crazy that they think it's just women that go through this. Like everybody feels this way, right? And he looked at me with like the dead like stone face. And he said, no, I've never felt this way. This isn't something that everyone goes through. And so I don't think there's any denying how severe the problem is. How did you know that a bracelet and technology was the solution? So what we did was we looked at what existed, like all those things you're talking about, all the things that women do to keep themselves safe, like what currently existed to us as options. Mm -hmm. And they were not right. <laughs> they were all like weapons, first of all, you know, people holding like keys between their fingers, having mm -hmm. pepper spray um, or like conceal carrying a weapon or a knife or something like that. Talk about devices being designed by people who haven't experienced this kind of problem. Like those were designed by men mm -hmm. a long time ago. And they're not really what people need. They're designed around this stereotype that somebody's going to sneak up behind you in a dark alley and grab you. And while that does happen sometimes, that's pretty rare. Um, most unsafe situations that women experience are with someone they know, right? Like a someone they work with um, or have to interact with in some small way at work, a classmate, a friend of a friend, someone they meet when they're out. And so it's much more like personal and messy than just like knowing that you're in an emergency and using a weapon against someone. So we wanted to 
design something that was based in real experiences that was, and like those real experiences that we heard from people were that it needed to be discreet. You needed to be able to like get help without the other person noticing because either like you didn't want them to know that you're reaching out for help because you know them. And so you're worried, like, is it going to make you look like you're overreacting and that might like hurt your relationship with the other person or the other person might react in a very unpredictable way that like mm-hmm. the situation actually gets worse if they see that you're trying to take action. So what we were hearing that women needed something like that, that was discreet. Number two, that was quickly accessible, like that you could activate and get help from immediately without having to like open your phone and rummage through different screens until you got to an app. And then inside that app, you could hit a button Mm -hmm. or like rummage around in your purse to find an alarm or something like that. It needed to be immediately accessible. And then three, we heard that it needed to be versatile right? Like pepper spray only does one thing. Mm -hmm. It shoots pepper spray in someone's face. And so whatever situation you're in, that's the only thing that you can do. And that wasn't working for people. People needed options based on the situation they were in. And technology allows you to give people options. Like we can use software to help, you know, our bracelet has a little button on the side of it and you can press that button and have something happen. And we can use software to make sure that that's lots of different things and that you can pick the thing that's right for you. And then on a higher level, what was also really important to us is that like, it helps keep you safe. The product is designed to help keep you safe. It's also helps you feel safe. Like it's not about fear mongering and feeling bad and all the things that you can't do or shouldn't do, which is what the like, people think about when they think about safety, because that's what the safety industry has told us for so long. We wanted it to be about having control, having power, feeling a sense of confidence, feeling a peace of mind that comes with that, which helps you live your best life. Because we were sick of like exactly what you're saying, exactly what you're saying when you ask this question, right? Like all the things that women have to do for their safety, it gets in the way of their life. And the number one thing that people do for safety is like not do things. And that is heartbreaking, right? We want people to live their lives with gusto and like meet all the people they want, go to all the places that they want, try all the new things that they want. That's, that's the wonderful part of life. Wouldn't it be incredible if you could do that with more confidence and peace of mind? Yeah, I have to say, I have to say that was one thing that drew me to you guys. And I don't know if I'm supposed to say this on air, but we've actually been approached by quite a few people um, wanting to talk about how difficult the pandemic has been for them. And we just feel like our podcast is not the right platform, right? We need people who are like pushing forward and are, are kind of seeing the opportunity ahead of them as opposed to the excuses that they can lean on. And one of the things that you've nailed is you know, this whole messaging around giving women agency and the ability to live freely yeah. and to not be scared. And I, I know that was intentional because there is a very easy, and I use easy with air quotes, an easy play here being like, we're going to lead with fear and you're going to buy because you're scared and you intentionally don't go there. Can you talk us through how you developed that messaging and how you're sticking to it? That's a great question. Well, I think at the heart of it, like that wouldn't make me excited about a product. 
<laughs> I, I wouldn't connect with that. Like that wouldn't make me excited about being part of that brand or that like community of people using that product. And, and that's important to us. We think there's such a huge opportunity here for people to not just be safe themselves and feel safe themselves, which is really important, but also to have a conversation about what safety actually looks like for so many people um, in a way that allows us to support each other, share advice with each other, and fight for real change and try to change some of those underlying problems that are causing unsafe situations. And to create that kind of a movement of people, you have to people have to connect with what you're building. And I don't think people would connect with fear. It would be something that they felt bad about having. It also would probably mean that they wouldn't wear it very often. Like if you feel bad about a product, you don't use it. Um, and the number one thing we could do to keep women safe today and tomorrow is to have them wear the bracelet. So we want you to feel great about it when you put it on. We want you to feel like you're never alone, you feel connected to people, you feel strong, and you feel like you're a part of something bigger than yourself, which is not just your safety, but it's, it's lots of people's safety. So that was always an important part of our messaging, because that's what for Quinn and I, like, those are the kind of brands that we connect with. And that's the kind of experience we want to have as a consumer. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the perfect example of the beauty of being your own target market when you're building a product. Because like you said, old white guys probably aren't the solve. They probably aren't right. gonna come up with the solution that's actually going to be what women want and need in a way that empowers them. And like Kelsey said, to have agency. I'm curious to hear throughout this process, some of the biggest lessons you've learned from people using the product and maybe the iterations yeah. you've through to get to where it is today. We listen to people so much. If there's one thing that we're really good at, <laughs> that's definitely the thing. And that, that like kind of puts me on a tangent a little bit. But I think so many people, when they're starting a business, they think, or they're creating a product, they think you have to be an expert, like technically, in what you're doing hmm. in order to do that. Like you have to be a software engineer, you have to be a mechanical engineer, you have to be a data scientist to build a product that involves those elements. I am none of those things and neither is Quinn. But what we do really understand is the problem as people experience it and talking to our consumer and making sure that we can really design something that actually helps them knowing that we'll learn the other stuff. Like I took an electrical engineering course and I learned all about circuitry because we had to build circuits for our product. Right. Oh my gosh. Um, and we talk to people like, you know, when you're doing something that matters and that matters to a lot of people, you can find folks who will help you and will teach you certain things, right? Like you can bring in those technical skills to make something. What's harder to have is like what you're, what you're asking about, like actually talking to people and understanding what they need and then having the like chutzpah to like go out and actually make that happen. So that, that was really important to us. And, you know, some of that came from our intuition and our gut feeling from talking to people. And some came from like actually testing it with people, hmm. but our, you know, we talked to thousands of women. We worked with um, partners in the beginning, like 
domestic violence organizations and sexual assault response organizations in Boston when we were starting the company um, out of the innovation lab at Harvard. And we would just go to their events and sit down at survivor roundtables and listen to survivors talking about their experiences. And then we would bring drawings of our designs. And after those events, we would say, hey, what do you think? Like, we're designing this kind of product. What do you think about this? And then we would invite people to um, little focus groups where we would have them sit down. We would make like really early versions of the product that were like plastic spray painted with like gold spray paint and like silver spray paint so that they Mm -hmm. like kind of looked like jewelry (laughs) Mm -hmm. and we put some electronics inside them but they were way too big and way too clunky and we would ask people to wear them they still like worked with an app on your phone and we would we would get get quick feedback from people in a way that like really pushed the design forward so that it would be better i think that's that's a really important mindset as an entrepreneur and a business person, like not being fixed on what you think it should be, like having an initial intuition around what you think it should be, and then being Mm -hmm. really open to other people telling you that you're wrong, it should be different, and then just be willing to like run in that direction and see, see those like setbacks as, as big opportunities to like actually get it right. If I could distill what you're saying into like three layers, I would say you're leading with the problem that you're solving. You clearly understand who it is you're solving it for. And then the the what at the bottom of the funnel is really kind of secondary, right? You're going to learn so much from those first two categories that the third is going to sort itself out. It's not to say that that's not a huge challenge or not a hard work. It definitely is, but I think of it as part of the outcome because if you design the what first, you'll sink a ton of time and energy and money into building something that then maybe does not help anybody. Mm-hmm. Right? Totally. <laughs> so if you think of that as the output, then you can like spend your time and your money more efficiently and like actually find the right people to help you. Um, and have a have a really clear vision of of what you're doing because it takes a while to develop products, physical oh products gosh. and software products, right? So time is money. Yeah. yeah. You you had the double whammy there, physical and software. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We didn't start Flare because it was easy. <laughs> it's not easy. But it is important. And like I to me, what's always been very important, and I know it is for my co-founder Quinn as well, is in business, like thinking about what problems people have, but like Mm. real problems, right? Not like, I wish my streaming service were faster, or I like wish my underwear were softer. Mm. Like those are nice things. And like, Mm -hmm. I would enjoy them as a consumer for sure, (laughs) but (laughs) they're not really problems. And we, Quinn and I like looked at what problems we saw in the world and like ways that we could fix them because we think that's what really makes a great business. Mm -hmm. And if you're gonna dedicate like so much of your life, like I've dedicated my whole life to this company, you wanna do something that matters, right? It matters to you personally and like actually makes a big impact. I think that that, that's how I approach it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Like when you're, like you said, investing your whole life into it, you wanna solve a problem that's really meaningful to you and, you know, can make a real impact in the world. And I think that's absolutely what you're doing with Flair. I'm curious to hear 
what the process of developing not only a physical product, but also software was like for two people, like you said, who didn't necessarily have those backgrounds. I, I can't even imagine how you'd begin to approach figuring that out. So I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, well, we had no hesitations with like talking to people about what we were trying to build. Um, where I know like some people who are developing new products, they get shy about telling other people because they don't feel like it's fully ready yet. So they're like worried about how people are going to judge them or they're worried about like someone stealing their idea. But, you know, well, first of all, we didn't have any room for shame, like for feeling like shame about it not being perfect. <laughs> and then second of all, like, you know, an idea is only that it's, it's just an idea. What's most important is how can you actually create something and can you execute it well? And so we were very open with people about what we were building and seeking advice and guidance from anybody that we could, which also meant that we had to have a really well-tuned bullshit filter, we like to call it, <laughs> where you're getting some bad advice from people or you're getting oh, yeah. some like, this is the way you have to do it. And if you only did things the way that you have to do it, there would be no real innovation in the world. So we had to be pretty careful about like what was good advice, what was bad advice. But um, we asked for a lot of help. And because we were really like pouring so much into figuring it out ourselves, like we weren't just business people who didn't want to get their hands dirty with the engineering. We, we truly wanted to understand how every aspect of the product worked so that we could design it appropriately and make the right decisions about what we really needed to do and what we didn't need to do. Um, I think people responded well to that, like engineers and some of the folks that we worked with. So we we went out and we found um, we found some people in Boston who had other jobs and they would like do a little bit of work for us at night after work. They would come and work with us. Um, and we had some great advisors um, who dedicated some time. And then really what we did was we went out and I think this is a great um, option for early stage companies. We went out and we did a bunch of competitions, like pitch competitions. Huh. It, it allowed us to like win small amounts of prize money, like grant funding that we could then use to like hire the people that we needed, right? We'd say, we, we go out, because a lot of those competitions are about your uh, problem you're solving, the unique way you're going about solving it, what your vision is, right? It's It's the early stage stuff. So we could express that really well. And we collected a lot of prize money that we then used to hire hourly people to like help us build some of it. And then some of it we'd build ourselves. And we always did it pretty incrementally um, to like build something, test it, get valuable feedback, build something else, test that, get valuable feedback. So we did it in, in bits and pieces. We also kept it really simple, which I think is really important when you're building product. <laughs> um, like the world is your oyster when it comes to creating something new. And, you know, we thought about everything that we wanted Flair to be because there's so much that we want Flair to be. We have a really big vision for the company. And we wrote down all those things that we thought like had to be in the bracelet and had to be in the app. And then we wrote down of all those things, like how long was each of those going to take to develop? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what was the true risk of not including it? Mm -hmm. Like, would it actually be a huge risk if we didn't have XYZ feature? 
And then we like fine tuned that list and we threw out half of it. And then we looked at that list and we threw out half of that smaller list until we got to like, what were, what was the simplest version of a product that we could develop, which meant we could make it quicker with way less complexity, like areas for it to break or go wrong and much less expensive so that we could create something and get it out there on testers. Uh, we did a lot of beta pilots at universities and we could test it with students quicker rather than like sinking years into development of the product. I have a bunch of questions. <laughs> you had a lot of good <laughs> stuff in there. So bear with me. The first one, you talked way back about asking for a lot of help. And I think that is an under rated statement, especially for people who are branching out into a category or a vertical that they've never done before. Um, I think that's massive. And it's actually a large part of why Emma and I started this podcast. Can you think back to any bad advice that you received and had to filter out? Oh, boy, let me think. Um, <laughs> it's probably a while ago, but I think it's valuable information, especially for people who are embarking on this path. If you can save them the headache, I think that'd go a long way. Yeah, I mean, I have to think about like what's most applicable for other folks because I can think about a lot of things that are very specific to our product. But like, um, some people had really strong views about like exactly what use case it had to be used for. Interesting. And exactly what customer it had to be used for, right? Like, Flare was only a sexual assault prevention device hmm. in a bracelet for college students. And that like, we had to be very narrow and specific to be successful. To some extent that advice is true. You do have to be narrow and specific in some aspects because you can't do everything at once. And if you try to do everything at once, you'll get nothing accomplished. Yeah, yeah that's true. But, but that was too narrow for us. Like we felt pull from other people and we were going to all these things and talking to people all the time. And we were hearing from a much broader group of customers, potential customers at that time in age and in use case. So instead we decided to design a product that would be adaptable, like that could grow into those other customers more easily, even though we, Right now, we tend to market it to younger women, right? Because it's a piece of jewelry. So it's designed to fit into like a younger woman's lifestyle because jewelry is something she's already wearing. But we designed the like physical technology module and the software on the app so that we could very easily put that module into different things. Mm -hmm. And we could create more features on the app of what could happen when you press that button. So we 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 tried to balance those two things by thinking about the bigger picture of where we were going and making sure that we didn't make design choices that kept us from going there wow. while like making the initial product like simple enough to just be like targeting like mm. an initial use case if that makes sense yeah yeah that absolutely makes sense and um you were you were talking about your customers and getting advice that you know, you really want to get narrow about who your customer is. Since launching, what have you learned about your customer base? Who are your customers? What are the main groups of people using your product? 
yeah, it's way more broad than I expected it to be. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> it's a great thing. Um, it's very moving for me because um, I do a lot of customer interviews, sit in a lot of our customer interviews to like hear from people about why they're wearing it. Um, mm -hmm. And it's very emotional. <laughs> and it's, it's, yeah, it really is very broad. We uh, have customers that are multi-generational, you know, as young as like 15, like, you know, girls in high school. Mm -hmm. um, and then like up through college. And then we also have like women who are 65 and they're retired and living alone. Mm. Um, and they all have different safety needs. Like, you know, some people buy it because they work with the public, like they work in sales or they're nurses or they're real estate agents, or they like um, our therapists or they work at like front desks and salons. Oh. And so like they have to interact with people that they don't know and they worry about their safety in those situations. Um, or there are people who um, have health concerns, like they have um, pretty serious asthma or like allergies or um, PTSD and anxiety and they want a way mm. to use our product to like reach out to someone else if they need help. Wow. Um, we have people who live alone or they're like at home by themselves for long periods of time because their family members are working or their partners are like working at odd hours or are traveling for work or they live in um, like rural areas where there are not a lot of people around to help you if you needed help. Um, to like people who just are walking long distances to get to school or to work or they're taking public transportation or they're new to a city or a town that they moved to so they don't have a big support network there or like what you might think of, which is like online daters who are worried about the people mm -hmm. they're going to meet on those dates, people with stalkers or vengeful exes, um, college students that are like going out and experiencing going to parties and meeting new people and trying new things for the first time. It really has been very broad, which I find really interesting. Um, and the like common theme that we hear from people is that it allows them to um, just have that like extra comfort and peace of mind of knowing that they can get help if they need it. Like the value is really in um, knowing that you have it and wearing mm -hmm. it rather than like having to use it. We have lots of people who have used it in situations and have gotten out of those situations, which is great. Um, I feel super honored to have like helped them in those moments. But I think more importantly, we don't want people to be in bad situations, right? So we wouldn't consider that like a, a measure of success. <laughs> um, but we want people to be able to avoid them um, and know that they can get help if they need it. And so we think about that in terms of people wearing the product and, and people are, are wearing it for lots of different reasons, which is really cool. I'm surprised. I had no idea there were that many use cases, but when you're talking about a therapist needing backup, well, that makes perfect sense because there can't be other people in the room with them in these sessions. So I can imagine how isolated they would feel. I think that's, yeah, that's so interesting. When it comes to sharing those use cases and getting the word out there about Flare, how are you sharing that message? Yeah, I don't think we're doing the greatest job. <laughs> to be honest with you, we have so much to share that it's hard to, to tell it all because mm -hmm. we find we have to explain to people um, many different things, right? What 
the problem is like what unsafe situations look like and feel like. So like why you might want a product or need a product in your life, what the bracelet does like that it's a bracelet and an app and then like how all the features work how you activate those features we tend to be like having to explain so much of that to people that we end up not having as much room to share people's stories but it's something that we're working on now um we're working on building a community like an online community of our users and of potential users where will like bring all these people together in an online forum where they can share with each other because we're hearing a lot from our customers that they want to share like their tips and tricks and what they do in their life to stay safe. And they want to hear from other people as well, because you go through different um, types of safety needs throughout your life as you get older, right? Like we have one customer who I talked to the other day is pregnant. And she wanted to wear a flare because she's feeling a little bit vulnerable if she's in a bad place or by herself because, you know, she's saying she physically looks vulnerable, like she wouldn't be able to mm-hmm. defend herself. Um, and so she wanted a, a bracelet for that kind of particular moment in her life, um, which is interesting. So I think like our customers, we're hearing from our customers that they want to talk to each other about that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine this community that you're building is going to be the most supportive community on the internet. I can feel it coming. And I think that's the best way is like, I was curious, and if you look at your customers, are people buying this for themselves because they feel unsafe? But I also feel like there's probably a huge gifting um, component to your customer base where you have concerned parents who want their daughters to be safe and concerned grandparents and things like that. Have you noticed that trend? Definitely. We get a lot of gifting. Um, We get, yeah, parents buying it for their daughters. We get, um, um, and themselves. Like we have a lot of like mothers who will find the product, they'll buy it for themselves and their teenage daughter. Um, We get a lot of um, husbands and boyfriends buying it for their partners. Um, And we get a lot of like women who are survivors buying it for themselves and buying it for the other women in their lives that they're worried about because they know what it's like to go through moments like this. And they don't want anybody else in their life to have to go through moments like this. Um, I, yeah, I talked to a lot of customers who said that their partner, like, knew that they had gone through something traumatic and their partner saw flare and they bought it for them. Like, you know, sometimes it's requested by the person. Sometimes it's just like the other person is thinking about you and they're thinking like, what are, what are the ways that I can help this person? Like through some of their anxiety and like their healing process and how to get back out there in the world, which is a hard thing. Um, Mm-hmm. And they see Flair as a tool to do that. And they buy it for the people in their lives that they love. It's about love at the end of the day. Like I've really found totally. with our product, it's about like being able to reach out to the people that you love, to have the people that you love be there for you when you need them most. Mm-hmm. And like giving the product to each other is an expression of that as well. A lot of people use it as a conversation starter. Like I had a mom that I talked to who bought it for her daughter and for her trans son. And she used it as a way to have a conversation with them about like what safety looks like in the world and that this is a thing that they can do for their safety, but also like how to be there for other people, Mm -hmm. which I thought was great. 
And it's also something we see like in our users, like one of the first things you do is you set up the bracelet um, and you uh, add the bracelet, connect the bracelet to your app, and then you pick the friends that you want us to reach out to if, if you ever need us to. And then we send those friends a message. You know, if, if you guys were in my crew, we call it your crew, for example, like Kelsey, you get a message that says, you know, your friend Sarah has added you to her crew. Um, in case she ever needs backup, you're going to get a message from us. Mm -hmm. And then that immediately creates a conversation between the two of us where I'll reach out to you to say like, Hey, I've added you to your crew, my crew. This is what it means. Like, you know, for these, you know, remember those like bad dates that we had back in the day and how terrible yeah. that was. And I just have to ask you to call me at a certain time. Well, instead I'm just going to send you a message when I need you. <laughs> and it creates those kinds of conversations between people, which are, which is really cool. It allows them to talk about the unsafe situations they experience and what they want to have happen. Mm -hmm. Wow. I can imagine this whole experience has, there's obviously been so many moments that must be just so rewarding seeing the impact you're having on people's lives. But I can also imagine as a survivor, being in this space could be exhausting. And I'm curious how you stay balanced throughout doing this work and take care of yourself in the meantime. That's a great question. It is very emotional. Um, yeah, I find especially when I'm talking to our customers, it's really emotional um, because we've, we've really changed a lot of their lives and that also makes me think about my experiences and it makes me very emotional about my experiences and mm. really like wanting, not wanting anybody to have to experience something like that. And until we can change why those experiences are happening, like how do we keep people, how do we keep people safe now? Um, as a team, we try to keep it light. <laughs> I think that's really important when you're working on something so heavy and so important. Um, we celebrate the little wins uh, and we celebrate the big wins. Um, and I, I worry about um, the rest of the team when it comes to that more than myself, because I've exercised my muscle uh, around like hearing people's disclosures, people disclose to me all the time. Mm -hmm. I, I really see that as a huge privilege that people feel comfortable doing that. And I, I think it's because they know that Flair understands. Mm -hmm. We understand what they're experiencing. We don't have any judgment. We're here to help them. And because it's a little bit anonymous, like we're, we don't know them, they're not a friend or family member. So it makes it easier to tell us about what they've experienced and get that support from us. Um, and so I flexed my muscle around doing that for a while. And that muscle has gotten stronger because it's been happening for a long time for me. But whenever we bring new people onto our team, I always worry about that a little bit and try to prime them for what that's going to look like, that that's such a wonderful um, thing, but it's also hard. Right. And I, and I think it, it is just about taking moments to really just enjoy and appreciate and celebrate the other things that we're doing. We try to keep it light in other areas as well. On that topic, I have to imagine you have to be extremely choosy with who you allow on your team. When you're working with people at such a vulnerable point in their lives, your team has to be, you know, you have to have that resilience, you have to have that empathy, and you have to kind of be in the right mindset. How do you go about filtering who would be a good fit on your team versus who just doesn't have the right, you know, qualities? Yeah, we have conversations like this in our interviews, which is probably a little unusual for an interview, but we talk about it. Like we talk about this issue, we talk about how it impacts people's lives. 
um, and how we see safety, why we're doing what we're doing, what these situations tend to look like, and we let people talk. You can tell pretty quickly if somebody gets it or not. Um, and you don't have to understand everything about assault and like what that journey and is like to be able to empathize, but we can clearly see like who empathizes and is going to be able to to work at a place like Flair. And honestly, it's usually a wonderful thing because it's usually that passion to of wanting to help um, that brings incredible people to our team. That's really great. Like we have people who are so happy to be here because of the really cool work they're doing, building a, an awesome new product and an awesome new technology, but also the ability to use it in a really meaningful way, like drives really great people to our team. And also we were talking about getting people to, getting help from people in the in the past. That's also what allowed us to like have so many people help us. Cause it's, you know, most people are touched by this issue in some way. Oh my gosh. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah, I can imagine. And I think like once you're in it and you see the impact that you're having on people and the freedom and how like finally they can breathe easy for the first time in probably years of dealing with issues like this, it must be just so motivating and so rewarding. I can't even imagine. Oh my God, yes. Like I used to think before we launched the product, if I could just help one person, that would be it for me. Like that would be so meaningful in and of itself. Um, it is, a, it's an incredible, it's an incredible feeling. I wish we could do more because you know, Flair's not the solution to this problem, mm -hmm. right? There are a lot of situations that Flair can't help you in. And we talk about that a lot, right? Like Flair is meant to be a tool in your tool belt of different options that you have, right? Depending on the situation that you're in, you might want to say something um, you might want to use flair to get away discreetly. You might need to use a weapon. You might need to scream. Um, it totally depends. Like you might want to use an alarm or pepper spray or like have a dog with you. We, we see customers have like all different options available to them, depending on what situation they end up in because flair is not the solution to this problem at all. Um, but we saw a big gap in the market where there wasn't a product that you could get to really quickly that helped you really discreetly get out of something bad earlier, like before, like you can use Flare before it gets too bad. Like you can use it earlier in the moment. And we thought that was a big thing that was missing for a lot of women. And we wanted to design that, but it's not the ultimate solution. We, we hope to develop and launch more and more and more options to help people in more and more situations, but it's never going to be the thing that ultimately keeps people safe. The only thing that can truly keep people safe is like lasting cultural change, like stopping mm -hmm. this problem from happening in the first place. But anybody that we can help in the meantime, it, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. Absolutely. And and being able to just create conversations, like you said, too, and have this be a topic that can be talked about more, um, I think is so important as well. So yeah, I just have so much respect for the work you do. And, and I'm grateful you exist. I'm sad your company has to exist. I mean, hearing these stories is just heartbreaking. But it is also really heartwarming to know that there's people out there like you who care enough um, to really try to solve these problems. Yeah, thank you. And we also know that it's not, um, you know, Flare is a piece of technology and that makes it a little expensive. And that's not 
it's not necessarily affordable for everybody. Um, you know, we're an early stage company and there's a lot of development that has to go into our technology. So that's where we have to price it at the moment. Um, but we wish it was more accessible to more people. And one of the ways that we try to help with that is we provide um, a discount to nonprofit organizations that want to buy the product for the people that they work with. We provide them with a pretty big discount. Um, and we also just launched a program recently on our website um, for people who can't afford the product. We're giving away up to five bracelets every month. Um, you can nominate someone else or you can nominate yourself. And we uh, read through those uh, applications to see who qualifies. And we pick randomly pick five people who qualify every month to get a bracelet to try to help. Wow. Oh. That's amazing. And I, I love the fact that you are trying so hard. Uh, yeah, just to do so many things that like mo most entrepreneurs work so hard not to do. And that's just really inspiring. Like that's a testament to how deeply you care about this movement. And I'm grateful, selfishly, that, you know, 90 or 85% of our audience are women and who could really benefit from a product like this. I'm so grateful that you agreed to come on. And I think this is a message that we can help amplify through our own platform and, you know, continue to kind of bring awareness to this. And Sarah, as we round out this conversation, um, one question we ask every single guest that comes onto our podcast is who do you think gets it? When we think about you and building flair, obviously you get it on multiple levels. And I wonder who inspires you. That's a great question. Um, do I have to say an entrepreneur? No, you, <laughs> you can, can pick say... literally anyone. Then honestly, I would say my mom. Aww. Because she's taught me so many things that like have really pushed me in the right direction in my life. But as it relates to Flair specifically, since that's what we're talking about, she always taught me she didn't shy away about talking about uncomfortable things or unsafe things like from the time that I was even very young. And one of the things that she always said all the time, I think being a product of the seventies and being at concerts and parties where things go wrong, right. Where the energy in a room changes and, and things are not exactly how you thought that they were going to be. Mm -hmm. She always told us to trust our gut to like listen to your gut, to listen to your body, that your body will know that something is wrong before your mind catches up and realizes oh, wow. what's going wrong. And that's been a really important like lesson that I bring into flair as well. Like we want to help people recognize those signs and those feelings in their body when something doesn't feel right and not feel helpless in those moments, not feel like there's nothing that they can do and that they're trapped. I think that's a terrible feeling. Um, but to have something that they can do and that that's something that my mom always told me to listen to my gut that like you will know when something's not right you'll feel it um mm -hmm. yeah she gets it man does she ever big advice big advice coming from mom for sure yeah <laughs> oh like we talk about that a lot too is like the more you can tune into your own intuition and build that muscle of listening to yourself the better off you're going to be across all aspects of your life. So I, I absolutely love absolutely. that. It's true. The world is a, you know, place full of beautiful colors and signals, different energy moving your way. Um, the more you can tune into that, the more you can do. 
Mm-hmm. Completely agree. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on today. This was such such an enlightening conversation. I, I learned a lot. And yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for building Flair. Oh, thank you guys so much. It was so nice to be here and so nice to chat about this with you and to any other um, aspiring female entrepreneurs uh, that are listening. Um, I would love for you to create products that solve problems that you experience in your life. The female experience is very unique and we have our own unique challenges uh, and hurdles that we have to deal with. Um, and if you're working on anything like that and you want some advice, my door is always open. I love to help wow. people. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks so much, Sarah. Yeah, no problem. Thank you guys so much. So the biggest thing, we covered a lot of ground in that conversation. I think the biggest thing that stuck out to me was how you have to tackle the big rocks. And that sounds kind of weird to say, but I'm reading a book right now that talks about how distracting little problems are in in actually like solving bigger issues. And I think one thing that Sarah and Quinn touched on really heavily is that they picked a big problem. And they picked something that was not easy to solve. I mean, developing a product and then also developing a technology as two people who have never done this before, these are not the easy way out. But I think this is a testament to the fact that when you're so passionate about resolving an issue or so passionate about the problem you're solving, you'll just find a way to make it work. Absolutely. That's a big takeaway for me as well. And I think it's a good reminder to people who you know, might not be feeling motivated by their work and maybe feeling like they're not sure what path they want to take, pay attention to the problems you're facing in your life that don't have a solution. Start researching if there is a solution out there. And um, if there's not, go after it. I think also, you know, it's a reminder that so many products have been made by people who are not the target audience. And because of that, there's an opportunity to improve when you are mm -hmm. the target audience, right? Like this product was made by women who have been in that situation and it gave them that lens of knowing what women actually want. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. That's powerful. Boom. Boom. I also think, <laughs> I also think like even at the beginning when Sarah was talking, she was literally saying, every single product to solve this issue. And I'm using, I'm saying solve with like air quotes happening because we know they don't actually solve the issue, but they were like pepper spray or like Swiss army knives. And it's like, that is so obviously designed by someone who's never been in the victim's chair. And I just think that like mm -hmm. you just said, Emma is such a testament to the fact that like, even if there are versions of a solution on the market, if they weren't developed by people who've actually been in that situation, maybe there are better ways to go about it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Just ask yourself, could it be better? Is there a different way to solve this problem? Does this really help me the way I want it to? Bingo. Anyways, this was a good one. Um, definitely a heavier one, but really important conversation. And I'm really glad we had it. Um, we would love for you to run over to our Instagram, they at they.get.it and tag a friend that you think would like our podcast. We're always looking for more wonderful community members. So share the love if you like our show and we will see you next week. See you then.